0: This is The Future of Finance by Motive Labs.
1: Hello, and welcome again to The Future of Finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back, everybody, with uh, Julian Korb, the head of financial services advisory at PwC. Hi, Julian. How are you?
2: Hi, Alberto. How are you? Very happy to be here with you in London.
1: Me too, in this very, very fine day in London. Julian, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what do you think are the biggest trends in financial services? You know, maybe we can talk about uh, Big trend in capital markets, a big trend in uh, sure. banking in general, and then a big trend in asset management.
2: Listen, I think there's a lot of activities in, in the three sectors, a lot of new technology players disrupting the uh, traditional life cycle and the traditional players. And if we want to really focus on one, so that we kind of make this discussion very focused, in capital market, a big move into the utilities, into financial services utilities, has been uh, starting to get significant traction in the market. A lot of firms are looking at many of their back office functions that are not differentiated, We've been talking about this for a long time, but I think we come to a point where it becomes real and a requirement for many of these players to move in that direction.
1: Is this only back office operational functions or also regulatory functions and anything that's non-differentiated? What do you see out there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It's not only the back office from a post-trade activities perspective from an operations perspective. It is also some regulatory and compliance functions, some risk management functions and so on that banks are starting to think about very seriously.
1: You know, having been in in the financial sector myself for uh, more than a couple of decades, I've heard this a lot. But now I, I see some real traction. What do you think the catalyst of this move have been?
2: I would say there are probably three major items on this. One is the costs continue to rise. The margin pressure is continuing to exist. Banks get to a point where they have to make a decision. The current statute quo is not sustainable. So that's number one. They have to kind of move into a different direction. Number two, it's very clear that the regulators are not coming with standards of communication fast enough, and the industry players have actually to develop the standards to actually start communicating with each other. And they come to the realization that it's important for them to make that move forward and bring together through this consortium and these utilities, the standard that will be required to establish these functions. And number three, and it's really a very significant trend that we see now, is many private equity firms are taking a lot of interest in the utility trend, if you will, and looking to invest in actually creating these utilities. And for the banks, it's suddenly an opportunity to partner with an outside player, if you will, to actually accelerate that migration. I mean, and when you think about something you want to do with your peer banks, and you know it's going to take forever to get everybody at the table to meet and to agree on many of the key decisions that have to be made, when you have a third party that's coming in and ready to invest, I think they see an opportunity to significantly accelerate the process.
1: And so, if I understand you correctly, it's not only... A cost-cutting move in some ways and a standardization move, but also an asset monetization move for the early adopters in the banks, given this influx of capital from private equity?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what really banks are looking at is not only to create that utility where they actually move into a third party that function. And as that function or that third party starts to mutualize the function across different banks, the early adopters have an opportunity to take ownership in that new co, if you will, as a way to monetize their platforms.
1: So really a big game changer.
2: It is a big game changer. And we're starting to see more and more of this. And many of our clients are looking at ways to kind of get into that space more aggressively.
1: Fantastic. In terms of the more retail side of the business, retail and I would say corporate wholesale kind of business, what do you see, if you had to point out one big trend that uh, your clients are asking you to help them with?
2: In the retail banking space, it's all about digital. It's digital everywhere, digital everything. And many of the traditional retail banks, regional banks or very large banks are pushing aggressively the concept of building mobile-only channels, mobile-only banks, actually, what we call native digital banks within the environment that would challenge the traditional bank that they have. And it's a very interesting trend where, where they believe that the customers are looking for different experience and a different way to interact with their banks. And they're building that digital-only bank in a very aggressive way and, and starting to get to market to reach to different types of customers in a more aggressive manner.
1: In some ways, what I guess you're saying is that there's the challenger banks and now established players are doing the challenger-to-challenger challenger exactly. kind of thing. So it's a challenger square kind of play, whereby before I get disrupted, how about I disrupt myself with my expertise? And
2: that's what it is, what they're disrupting themselves, right? In in a very interesting way, and in massive movement into the digital space.
1: Wow. And uh, what do you think uh, have been the drivers towards this, besides the pervasiveness of the technology? But what have the drivers been for this? And where do you see It landing and shaking it down.
2: I think the major drivers are to provide a different experience for customers who are looking to establish a relationship with their bank that's just different, right? Many customers or potential customers do not want to go into a branch, right? They don't want to open an account with a branch. They want to open an account on their mobile device. So you need to respond to that need and that new requirement. And so as much as we've seen many banks thinking about establishing that bank or actually establishing that digital native bank within their environment, We've seen different levels of success, and maybe some of the most successful ones have been the ones that, number one, of course, they're focused on the experience that they create. The customer experience is definitely what's going to attract and retain customers, but also how much product you can innovate on your platform, right? product innovation, how much real-time actually the products are. If you think about small loans, if you can actually move the origination to close process From literally days, if not weeks, into minutes, I think that's a very attractive proposition as well as you innovate and try to attract different customers. And then there's this concept that is really picking up significant momentum in the market of financial wellness, where you're really trying to create a relationship with your customers, where you become the financial planning advisor in their day-to-day life. Right When they get in the street, they buy products. They are looking at different options for how to spend their money in terms of saving and retirements, and they want to put down some money for a mortgage or what have you. You have kind of this constant advisor mm. that's automated that comes to you on your mobile phone and give you some some advice to optimize your financial wellness.
1: Because really, the the move in retail, and it's the same in corporate in some ways, is that people are moving away from the concept of uh, banking and going into a concept of living. So. Uh, you go through different phases of life and to different phases of uh, your business, and you need your bank to support you throughout. And with all the machine learning and AI, the bank can be actually proactive about it. As you go through life, okay, you go to college, and this is what you're going to need. This is what your peers need. So probably you're going to need two. And absolutely. then you go, you know, you start work, and then it's that's the cycle.
2: You're absolutely right on how people are evolving and how evolving their relationship with their banks. But also, if you look the other side, how the banks want to evolve their relationship with their customers, it's not about satisfaction, it's not about sales, it's about engagement. How much engagement you have from your customers.
1: So mindshare, the constant mindshare.
2: Exactly, engagement and promotion, how much actually the customers are going to leverage their own social network to promote your brand, right? And and so you move from satisfaction and sales into engagement and promotion as very different criteria to measure their success, and that's where digital banking becomes really a key requirement for them.
1: Very, very interesting. And then I guess if I have to think that the flip side of, of, you know, as part of your living experience for a client, there's also the asset management side. So what do you think the asset management, the big trend, if you had to think of one, what would you think it is?
2: As much as we've seen a lot of development in the, the trading and research space, I think one of the areas that we've seen most kind of disruption has been with the robo-advisors, whether it's asset management or really in the distribution space, in the wealth management space. It's interesting because I remember a couple of years ago, we had actually a roundtable with a number of CEOs from wealth management firms. When we started talking about robo-advisors, everybody was like, it's so small, it's not really a disruption. And a few years later, we've seen more than 100% year-over-year growth in asset under management from robo-advisors. So they're here to stay, right? And everybody has to kind of react to the fact that they're here as much as they're still are not necessarily significant in terms of size, they're gaining significant momentum, they're gaining significant mind share, and everybody has to adapt and define their own solution.
1: So, what type of robot visors are out there that you see being successful?
2: What we've seen is every wealth manager has been kind of looking at robot visors differently. We've seen a lot of acquisitions in the in the market where smaller players have been acquired by large wealth management firms. We've seen many of the large wealth management firms as well building their own robot visors and building their proprietary solutions. And we've seen also a lot of partnerships where the concept of white label and others have been leveraged, where you actually leverage a third party robot visor but use it as your own. And frankly, I think the most successful ones have been the concept of augmented automation, where really you have the robot visors, you have the automated concepts for your allocation. But it's augmented with very easy access to live agents, whether you have access to call center agents or financial advisors, the robot can actually connect you very easily with a live agent. Because in many transactions or many decisions you have to make, people actually feel that at some point they want to talk to someone. And the ability to integrate your different channels, ability to integrate a robot advisor with a live agent makes a big difference for individual investors. And I think we've seen a lot of traction from these firms who've been able to create that integration.
1: I've seen uh, a lot of interesting products coming out of uh, robots that behave like a test of Turing kind of uh, approach. So maybe halfway house between the complete robot advisor that you cannot talk to and a live human interaction these very smart bots that provide advice. Do you see this as already a trend or we are still talking about... the beginning
2: i think we've seen a lot of experimentations in that space i think this is definitely one i think it's still unclear which ones are going to continue to develop i mean the next frontier of robo advisors what we see is really the high net worth individuals and right now they don't have really a lot of presence with the high net worth individual but as millennials that could be high net worth individual are starting to age and are looking for more investments and they're starting to have more actually to invest I think we're seeing a lot of these robo-advisors starting to figure out how to develop more sophisticated solutions to attract the high net worth individuals. Not a lot of presence in that space yet, but definitely the next frontier for robo-advisors.
1: No, I have to say for people like you and me, who have been in the business for many years. I mean, I've seen a lot of changes, but to, to go for a cliche, the pace at which this is happening, I mean, the next 10 years will make the past 20 look like uh pre-historical times. The things that are happening are just...
2: It's very clear the pace of change continues to accelerate. And, and, and this it's not only industry- technology. <clears throat> Absolutely. It's all these new players coming in. and The industry will look very different in five years than what it looks today, for sure. And everybody's starting to get ready for it. But the key differentiator for me is the pace uh, at which you can change, right? Because the industry is changing. So how quickly can you actually integrate that change and create these new products, these new capabilities will be a key differentiator as well.
1: Fantastic. Well, Julian, Thank you very much. As always, talking to you has been fascinating and very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time.